Good morning, Linwood Community Church. Uh, it's really good to be here, but this is not my first time. Um, so I see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people I know, but then I also see some that I don't know. Um, so hopefully we can get to know each, be each better a little bit more today through what I share. And make sure uh, after the service you introduce yourself to me. I'd love to um, see and hear from you. And here's why that is. In the, in the Gospels, there's something that's really powerful that we can miss. We can come and hear a sermon. We can sing songs that we agree with. But there's something called the fellowship of the saints. It's really important. And so it's the mingling of this. Are you ready? The blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. We're all saved by the blood of the Lamb. And then the word of our testimony. So each of us have testimony that not only has Christ set us free, but he set us towards a mark. Whether you be a father, a mother, a business owner, you've been given by God's grace authority and, and, and means to serve him. And so we need to share our testimonies with one another because I don't know about you, but if I get too focused on myself and forget about the fellowship of the saints, I miss that humility that comes. And I miss that sweetness and goodness that only comes from God and when God dwells in his people. Amen? So just, to, just an encouragement. And I will say, I think uh, the last time I was here, the carpet was green. So... It, it looks like there's been some changes. Can I get an amen? Or maybe someone really loved the green carpet. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so I've been in ministry now for probably over 10 years, uh, ordained as a pastor. But currently, my role is I'm a Bible teacher at the high school, Atlanta Christian School. Um, so if anyone has to get up to use the bathroom, please ask for a hall pass. Um, and, and so we're going to kind of be moving around. What I, I, got a, I got a chance to listen to Pastor Jason's message last week. And what I love, for one, is that not only are you guys sitting in the context as a church of what's going on in the Roman church and how that applies to us today, but going verse by verse through the Bible and hearing these wonderful words of life probably one of my favorite songs that I've heard sung when I was little in church, the wonderful words of life. And they teach us things. They grow us. And so that's the prayer today, that the wonderful words of life would speak. Because if you ask my wife, if I talk, I have too much to say. It'll take too long and we'll never get anywhere. But when God speaks, it's perfect and holy and true. It's always good. It's always for edification. Um, and so I'm just going to open with a word of prayer, and if you would just join me in that. God, we love you. God, you are holy. Lord, these are the, the people, the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, I want to join with them. And just declare you are holy, you are holy. Set this time apart. Speak to us, Lord. Bring life. May lies be lit up with the light of the gospel and forever removed. Would transformation truly happen because of your word that you've left us to follow, to be our guide. 
God, thank you for your son. We worship you. And God, might this not just be me sharing something and someone listening, but instead, God, would it be you? Would it be you that our eyes are upon? Would it be your words that we hear? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was watching the message, and I really love how Jason went from six to seven, and I love how he shared, and this is sometimes what we don't know if we haven't been to seminary, we haven't been to Bible college. We're thankful for administrators, but the Bible is actually to be read. When you read the letter of Romans, it's to be read as a letter. It's not to be read chapter and verse. The chapters and verses are actually uninspired, but they're helpful when you're sitting in a room with people and saying, hey, can you turn to this page? Because they're pretty long letters, are they not? And so they're helpful for us, but context is super important. And while um, I think Jason covered it all from six to seven, what I want to focus on is something he said that I thought was so powerful. And this is what he said. This is what stuck out to me. Sin is like a boss who pays on time and pays well. And this is what I heard Jason say. Sin pays with death. Does anybody remember that? Sin pays with death. So this, this kind of will spring us into the message today, and we're actually going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, but we're going to be looking at a little bit of Romans 6. And here's why. So if the wages of sin is death, and that's not what we have anymore in Christ, can someone shout out, what do we have, according to Romans? We have a gift, right? From who? And what is that gift? Eternal life. Amen. But there was still a debt to be paid. So, to share a little bit about my story and how the blood of the Lamb has been working in my life, um, I have been paid with the wages of death. I don't know about you. Um, I've been paid with doubt. I've been paid with fear. I've been paid with anxiety. Um, I've been paid with lies. And, and, and what it moved me towards in my fleshly struggle is survival. I just got to survive. Thoughts then grew. Am I going to die? Am I really saved? Am I really loved? I'm not good enough. These thoughts all stemmed from what? Me trying to love myself. And then when loving myself didn't work, me trying to love others and find significance in that. What happened was due to this selfish nature that Romans warns us about. I was lured back in by the enemy. And my love, or better said, God's love that was to be in me, grew cold. A little bit more about my story, fast forwarding. So months of meeting with a Christian counselor while attempting to get answers. Isn't that why we go to counseling, right? I want some answers. 
And I'm like, all you're doing is listening to me. After many sessions where I was listened to, prayed for, and challenged with God's word, I finally asked this counselor, and I, I said this, I said, why could I be so bitter? The counselor said simply, yet powerfully, and I won't forget, he said, Matt, I believe your love has been hindered. That day, my eyes were opened to the self-centered, self-absorbed trap that I fell into. And so, and we have it on the screen, you don't have to turn there, but the title of our message today, you can go back to the title slide real quick, should be the title one with the flower if it comes up. Maybe not. Well, in any event, the title of the message is A Love That Never Grows Cold. Never. There is a love that never grows cold. So, now you can move to the, to the next slide. You're, you're, you're on, Tina. I'm off. Don't worry. You're doing great. Matthew 24, 12, and it says this, because lawlessness is increased, and this was in Romans 6, if you remember Jason touching on lawlessness, most people's love will what? Become cold. It'll take time, but it'll grow cold. So this is words from our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. What, what is going on in Matthew 24? So real quick, we don't have time to go there, but I want to give you the... the uh, 10,000-foot view, so to speak. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the hardships that will come, the persecution that will come, how the Son has come to fulfill the prophecy, and how you will know you are getting closer to the end because hearts will grow cold towards the love of God and will instead come up with their own version of love and depict it as love. Yet, in the Bible, there is a word for love that is the love of Christ. What is that word in Greek? Do we know it? Agape, or unconditional love. And it says against this love, what? There's no law. There's nothing that can thwart it, take it, or destroy it. Against the love of God, nothing can stop it. But what does Satan do? He comes and says, well, what about a version of that love? What about something that seems like it? And I don't know if you watch the news. I try not to. But if you see what's going on in our world today, people are being swayed to give love a try in whatever form fits you. And hey, if you can get your cards right, if you can get things figured out right, you're going to experience love. Yet, we know it's a purposeless pursuit. Because it's a love that always leaves you empty. There's only one love that promised to come and fill you forevermore. Only one love. So Jesus is describing to the disciples in Matthew 24 the harsh reality that awaits them after he leaves. This is John 16. And before the end of the age, when he returns, this is Revelation 19, he has said that he will be hated and they will be hated just for having association with him they will be persecuted and eventually killed many who seem to follow Jesus will also fall away Jesus is talking about due to the pressure some will even betray others 
false prophets will rise to teach error and lead many people from the truth of Jesus. Now Jesus adds that one result of this false teaching will be disorder. A rejection of standards of goodness and morality. Those who follow the distorted vision offered by false prophets will abandon the truth. They will rebel against virtue or even submitting to a God. The ultimate result of this, listen to this, they're self-serving, self-following lawlessness will be the loss of love. See, you can gain the whole world, but you will lose your soul. The imagery of love is now one of a cold love. When this coldness is talked about in Scripture, it is that of a dead corpse, a lifeless body. Famously, Jesus taught that God's entire message to humanity hung on two commandments. And as, as a church, every church, we should know these two, right? Love God with everything one is and to love one's neighbor as oneself. And see, the reality is to love your neighbor, you have to be able to love yourself. But what Romans 6 is saying, what the scriptures and the gospel has been saying is you are not capable to accurately and efficiently love yourself unless there is a greater love that inhabits your soul. So if we turn to uh, Luke 10, 27, it says this, and I think we have it on the screen if you don't want to turn there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind. There's a lot of loving self there, right? Man, I've got a lot to be loved. My mind, my soul, my strength. And then you'll be able to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, can you see where the enemy has snuck in and said, well, let me try to teach you how to love yourself in our culture today. I know what, when I found myself in front of a Christian counselor and working through these things, he said, your love has been hindered. And when I went to the, the word of God for the answer, I went, well, I'm not capable of loving myself accurately. I won't be able to do it. I'll fall short. And then when I fall short loving myself, what ends up happening? The way I love my wife falls short. And then the way I love my children falls short. And then the way I love the world falls short. And I'm just trying, putting a smile on. I'm here to love people. And inside, just a dead, cold corpse. Loveless. Because I've grown cold. So it's just a game. It's just a game we play. And then we recently celebrated, right, Valentine's Day. And let, let's, you know, celebrate love in the middle of winter. Well, I'm glad that we do that. I'm glad that we're celebrating love. But if we don't know what love is, we better be careful what kind of love we're sharing and what kind of love we're entertaining and what we're attributing as love. Because in our culture, have we not seen movements of love over the years? And what has it led to? Emptiness. But yet there is a love that never grows cold. 
So before we get into the good news, we've got to talk about the bad news. And here, here it is, and this is a, this is a, a, a quote from a, a, great, a great book that I suggest. Um, it's called When People Are Big and God is Small by Edward T. Welch, and it says this. I knew that Jesus loved me, but I also wanted my new wife to be absolutely forever smitten with me. I needed love from her. He went on to say what he actually needed was what? Unconditional love. Agape. That's what he needed. Now this is a young pastor who was going to seminary and now as he's worked through many things with the Lord, writing this book and, and seeing other commentaries and things he's written. And, and he brings it down to this very basic truth that we as Christians would maybe say we know. Unconditional love. But love without condition that's not what's preached in the pulpit of the media. That is not what's heard in the public school system. You've got to get good grades to be a good student. Well, Christian, I, I want to remind you, this is maybe the teacher in me, there is no grade you could get that's going to pass the penalty that you deserve, which is death. There's no grade you're going to get unless there's a perfect A student that's out of this world that came into this world to take the test for you. And he did, and his name is Jesus. The perfect love on display was Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And so um, I went on to look up an article, and this is by Matt Clark, and it was titled Walking the Shoreline. I thought it was very interesting. What hinders this agape? What hinders the unconditional love? Number one is this, worrying about how you will be perceived or overly self-focused. The next was not being present, which is to be self-absorbed, to be absorbed with self. Next, wanting a fairy tale. Anybody? This one has gotten me many times. Having this self-idealism, this ideal self, this ideal family, this ideal want. Low awareness, which is lacking self-care, which if we look through the Gospels, Paul made it very clear to the young ministers he talked to, take heed for yourself. Make sure you take care of yourself. It's important. We've been trusted with a temple. Next would be uh, wanting something in return. Anybody? Transactional love, right? Okay, I'll scratch your back. You've got to scratch mine. What is that looking for? Looking for self-benefit. What would Ben... Oh, I'll, I'll do that if there's a benefit coming my way. Not being honest about what we actually need or want. What is that called? Lying to self. Anybody? I've lied to myself many times. And this is a hard one to hear, and so we have to be careful and gracious here, but past hurt, not submitted under the blood of Christ, becomes self-inflicted. You are self-inflicted by sitting in past hurt. And then finally, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, nobody lets the baby drive the car. Feelings. Feelings controlling decisions. Also known as self-destruction. I don't know if you've ever seen, I have, a, I have a, a few little ones, Simeon, Ruth, and Shep. And my daughter last night, I don't know what happened. It was like a bomb went off in my house. And I woke up thinking like, you know, are we being invaded? As my son's screaming, and he's like, the lights are off, I can't see. And my daughter's screaming, and she throws, the emotions overwhelmed her, and she throws her body around, and she hits her head on the side of the bed. 
And I'm going, man, Daddy was right there. I, I was ready to help you. I'm trying to help you. I can't, I can't get to you. You've got to turn and come to me. And she hits her head. And now she's even more upset. But the emotions got the best of her. And how, how much so is that like our relationship with God? He's like, I'm here. I love you. It's perfect. You've got to repent. You've got to come my way. And then our emotions lead us into what? Bumping our proverbial head, and then we blame God. Like, where were you, God? Because you know, I have a perfect love, and I'm coming after you, but you've got you've to look through your emotions to see the truth. And I can say that emotional-led decisions or feelings-based decision-making has led to self-destruction for me. I don't know about you. So what is this summed up as in Scripture? Well, one word, idolatry. That is what this is summed up in. All this self-understanding of self or unhealthy self-love or self-help can be summed up in one word, idolatry. How do we know this? Well, if we go to 1 John 5, 20 through 21, and we know that the Son of God has come. He has given us understanding. You see how you know? Because who gave you understanding? Who brought his love to you? God. Him who is true. Who's true? Him. That's who I can trust. And we are in him. Wait a minute. Not only did he come and share his truth, but he said, you can be in the truth with me. You can be in love with me. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Is that not the gift in Romans? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. But listen to 21. Here is where like a father talking to his children. I love this. John says what? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. There's a lot about God there, right? There's a lot about his love and his eternal life. And then there's this, this send-off. Children, there's still, there's still a childlike mentality to you. Be very careful to not think more of yourself than you should. The enemy will come in and alter that and hinder that and your love will be hindered. You'll lose the capacity to be loved and love in this life. It's not God stopping his love for you, but it's a hindrance in the flesh. So let's backtrack just for a moment to Romans. And this is Romans 6, 17 through 19. It says this, Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from where? The heart. That's transformation. To that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And after being freed from sin, you became a slave to righteousness. Now, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your body parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And there's a lot there that we don't have the time to get into, but this main thought of being a slave, you're already a slave to the love of this world and the love of yourself. And where did it lead you? But to more slavery. To more, I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. 
Do we look good enough in front of these people? Uh, honey, do we have enough for this or that or whatever the conversations are? And you go, wait, is that coming from a God who loves you and has restored you and has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus? Or is that coming from your flesh? Saying, I'm not enough because he never said you're not enough, right? He said, who told you you're not enough in the garden? Ah, Satan did. He told you you're not enough. Because the word says we're fearfully and wonderfully made from our mother's womb. And that he had to come and deal with the penalty. He took the wages of sin. He took death and bore it on himself. Substituted for us. And now we've been made righteous with God. You see, there is a weakness in our flesh that gravitates to slave-like behavior. We want to serve something. I, I'll be honest here, I'll own this, I tend to choose idolizing myself. Then others. Or even an imaginative ideal of the perfect whatever. These grandiose illusions of a better life. I, I don't know, how about you? Do, you? do you struggle to fall into that? Because I would tell you it's a dart from the enemy. It's not the voice of God. It's a dart from the enemy. If we move back further in Romans, <clears throat> the truth Paul is showing to the New Testament church to lay it out is really, he's saying, put the idols away. He's like, put yourself away. No longer be a slave to those things. Repent. And here it is, Romans 6, 6 through 7. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified. This is key. Our old self, our fleshly desire was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Hallelujah. He did the work. So that we would no longer be what? Slaves to sin for the one who has died is freed from sin I, I'm sorry you know if, if anyone you know we, we could have a we could have a little funeral service up here Matt Glancy needs to die and maybe you need to fill your name into that statement even in your prayer life like I need to die like I what I value and what I want and what I hope for, no matter how strong my imagination is, no matter how strong my inclination is, no matter how strong I think what my parents raised me in is right, I'm saying you've got to check that with God's word. Because if it's not rooted in what God's word says, it has to die. It has to die. And that's a really hard thing to live. But Galatians 2.20 tells us what? It's no longer I who lives but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I go on living, I don't live according to this flesh. Yeah, I gotta deal with it. Yeah, it's still here. Yeah, it still stinks. I still have to beat it into submission, Paul says, to Christ. So it's not that we can just totally fly off into imaginative God is the best thing in the world and my flesh will just totally never tempt me again. No. But we have a power, we have a love that never grows cold. And when you want to check the barometer of your life and say, man, am I walking in Christ and with Christ or am I further away from him? I would say, has your love grown cold? The love towards your spouse or your children or you're at work and you're like, yep, not feeling it today. Like, hey, how's it going? How you doing today? Yeah, God bless you. Like, I hate my job. 
And we gotta wrestle through that, right? We gotta wrestle through how we feel, but feelings can't drive. I'm not gonna let my five-year-old son drive the car as much as he may ask to drive the car. He's not allowed to drive. So that brings us to the main text. And if you wanna turn there, this is 1 John, and I do not have this on the slide, so you are gonna have to use your Bibles. And this is really key, and this is what is happening in Romans, and Paul is working through this with them, and now here's John right, working through this with a church he's writing to, and really what we believe in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John was a dispersion to the New Testament church that was growing rapidly. And he says, you have to test the Spirit. This is what he says. So verse 4 of 1 John chapter 4. If you're there, say, I'm ready. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. And I'm here to argue that there is a spirit of love in this country that is not the love of God. But test the spirit to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh there was an argument in the church that well see god wouldn't really put on flesh he wouldn't really do that he's so holy and so divine he could never do that you know where that was coming from it was coming from a voice i'm not enough there's no way god would come in flesh to save me i am not worthy of that and it's like well while there's partial truth in that you're not worthy of that here's what you got to get he did that he came in the flesh because otherwise you would live in a state of i'm not enough but because he came and dwelled in human flesh and took on the sin of the world, that really happened. Garden of Gethsemane really happened. Well, now we've got a great grace that God said, I can substitute for you because I lived it and I did not sin. I walked in it and I did not give way to the love of this world. But I, he said, I and the Father are one. I love the Father. This is what Jesus said. I love the Father. And the Father loves me. Now what does that mean? Then he goes on to say in the Gospels. He said, so I am now in you. And the love of the Father is now in you. Without Christ, you cannot inherit or inhabit the love of the Father. This is amazing. So he goes on. By this you know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Real simple, right? That's not hard to understand. If it's from God, Christ came in the flesh, he did exactly what he said he was going to do, and he's exactly who he said he is. And now he's ascended to be with the Father. Jesus is not from, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of what? The Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children. Here it is again, that humbling moment, like, hey, don't think too highly of yourself. You're a child in God's kingdom. You're a child. You have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because why? Not because you're great. 
Not because you can love yourself. Not because you can muster up the strength to say the right thing. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. And here, here's, he's, this, there's a debate going on, like, there's people saying that, look how smart they are, look at their education, look what they're able to do, look at the crowd they're able to draw. And they're saying that Christ didn't come in the flesh. And John's going, the world listens to the world. The song and the dance, the lights, camera, action, the world listens to the world. But, but look what he says next. You are from God, little children, and have overcome. And as you skip down to five, they are from the world. But skip down to six, we are from God. The one who knows God listens to us. The one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And what is he saying as he drafted these words? When we hear the word of God and it convicts to the heart and it transforms our life, that is God absolutely solidifying your salvation. That you're going, I have to obey this. It doesn't mean in perfection throughout the day you do everything right. But in grace, you're drawn to your Savior. And, and you're even maybe pained or grieved when you look out into the world and you see this, this false love that's advertised. Hey, if you take this pill, it's gonna help you to this point. Hey, if you follow this band or this movement of music or, or this, this thing, it's gonna give you some fulfillment. And it does say what? That sin is pleasurable for a season. But it just gets you up to the next high, fall, next high, fall, next high, fall. Whereas Christ said, I actually bring you up, I mount you up on wings like eagles. I bring you up to a higher state than you could ever be brought up to and I will never let you out of my grip. You will never falter, you will never fail. And this is why, because Christ never faltered and never failed. This is so important, the relationship we have with Christ. This is everything. This is what we have. So finally, if you skip down to uh, verse 7, this is where love comes in. A love that never grows cold. Beloved, let's love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And what he's saying here is not like the world loves. Test the spirit. Is there an unconditional love? Church, are we willing to go out and love the world unconditionally without any of the hindrances of the flesh? Are we willing to say, I'm going to lay that down? And we have to navigate it in our workday. Don't get me wrong. Because that love's out there. What are you going to do for me? What's in, it? What's in it for me? Well, how's this going to work out in the end for me? And what, what he's saying is, you know, you, know, you remember what Jesus said to us when we followed him? He said, you know, they're going to know that we're his disciples. It's by our love for one another. And oftentimes, I'll be honest, I'm the first one that could go out and give love to somebody for the benefit of myself. Oh, yeah, man, I'll help you with that. You're going to come over and help me do this in my house? I'll help you do that. Right on, man. But then to come in here... To come into a body of believers and say, I just got to love for the sake of Christ. Ooh, that's hard. Why is it? It's not my nature. But that nature has to die. It has to be totally dead. So that what can live? Christ and his nature. That you unconditionally love. We read on. Verse 11. Beloved, 
1 John 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. This is very interesting. No one's ever seen God. That's an argument in the church. Well, you haven't seen God, so how do you know? John's going, I haven't seen God, but I have seen who? I've seen Christ. I've seen Christ Jesus. If we love one another, God remains in us. Now, this is not talking about, this is where people get twisted and, oh, you could lose your salvation. He doesn't remain in you. It means that your focus is steady on him, that your mind is fixed on Christ, remaining in him. And God remains in him, verse 17. By this, love is perfected with us. You want to have perfect love? You want to have love that knows no end, knows no bound, and is unconditional? One, if you don't know the love of Christ today, if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if God's love is not in you, you won't be able to love yourself and you won't be able to love your neighbor as yourself. But if God's love is in you, he will walk with you every day graciously like a good father. And I'm learning this with my children. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, man, God, you gotta give me the love to love these kids today because I'm, I'm ready to let some things out based off my feelings. Or maybe I'll just ignore them for a moment. And then God's like, man, Matt, I'm, I'm never gonna stop loving you. I love you. Every time I turn to his word, I'm like, man, he loves me. Man, he loves us. What manner of love is this that he lavishes it and gives it? So finally, as we skip down to uh, 20, if someone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, this is even in thought. This is not physical means. This is inward. If someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And what he's saying is you got a bunch of people gathering to worship saying, we see God, we love God. And John's going, hey, newsflash, if you don't love one another, I don't know what God you see, but it's not the God that I walked with. It's not the Savior because he spent his life pouring out love all the way to the cross. We, we, we think in the American culture, it's like, man, I gotta do all these things. I gotta set myself up for this success. But what did Christ do? We don't know for 30 years of his life what he did. The only conclusion we can draw with all the Bible scholars, all the study, all the historical evidence is that Jesus loved his family until a point came when he was able to step out into his public ministry for maybe three years and go, well, that's not what the world's selling because the world is like, love yourself, get yourself together, build yourself up. But Jesus sacrificed 30 years of life to love his family. And then the next three years, he poured out all the way to a cross. Well, now that's love. That's a love that doesn't fade. That's a love that we know could only come from a supernatural power here brought to us on earth through Christ. And now he says that same power in Christ that changes you from conditional-based love to a love that never grows cold, an unconditional love. He says, I'm going to trust you and deposit that in you. Whoa. I don't know if you're having a cold winter. You know, they, they talk about seasonal depression, right? And I know my wife is like, I can't wait for the warm weather. She loves going to the beach. I don't know if I mind the cold weather as much, but it does start to be like, okay, it's cold. I don't want to go outside. Like, there's nothing I want to do. It's cold, right? And we face that. Well, the world 
is cold towards God. So, so cold. And wants nothing to do with his love or his commandments. And God, Jesus himself in Matthew 24 warned that that would be the way it is. But he said, not so for you, little children. Not so for you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. And what does this remain mean? And this is where we're going to close today. That you have a mind fixed on the truth of Jesus. And that you sustain in that, and this is my confession today, in that I can do nothing but receive this wonderful gift of grace. And it's just a mind change. Well, well what did you do? Did you, go to, did you go to church for, you know, seven years straight? No, no it does, doesn't matter. How much of the Bible did you memorize? Well, that's not going to matter. It's not going to do anything. Well, are you just perfect, like at home? And, no, I'm not. But something happened in my mind, and I realized if I try to love myself, I'm just going to fail. If I try to get love through loving others, well, maybe that... And really, it's all what? A pursuit of love. We're all trying to be loved. We're all trying to get love. And you're just going to be empty. Unless, unless you accept your emptiness and your brokenness and say, I need to be filled. I need to be filled. God, fill me. And that's as simple as it is. And so if you want to talk more about that, you can speak with me afterwards or one of the deacons or leaders here and this is a final quote for you C.S. Lewis said this to love at all is to be vulnerable I'm going to add to that you should always and can always be vulnerable with God in your prayer life in your devotion time there's never there's never a time where God says yeah I don't I don't have it for you today but instead with open arms and an open heart and eyes fixed on you like when I watch my son running around the yard I'm like he doesn't even know I'm watching him but I'm like watch out I know where stuff is in the yard where you could get hurt God is constantly fixed upon you saying I love you I love you I love you and as my son runs around the yard he goes hey dad and he looks to me in the same way sometimes we're running around in life and we need to get on our knees and say hey dad I need you dad, dad can you remind me of the love that I've forgotten Because the love can grow cold. So here's two things to take away. This is an ouchie, so you can say ouch after this. I am selfish by nature. Ouch. Here's the second thing, though. To lose selfishness, you might want to write this down. To lose selfishness is to practice the love of God. When you practice the love of God, you will be reminded that God is love and God 